0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I just want to take a second before we get to the show today to say that every day we bring you conversations from across the NPR network. We've got a whole squad of hosts and producers with you know their own tastes and interests helping us bring you your next read. And NPR's journalism relies on your support to keep it free for everybody. So please consider a donation to help, not just us at the Book of the Day podcast, but the NPR network as a whole at donate.npr.org slash books. You know, books are such an integral part of our lives, from that first book our parents read to us to that one book we read when we were 13 that really warped our mind to the book that... Okay, you know, maybe we read the spark notes for in high school, but came back to as an adult and realized it was pretty good. Come on, that's not just me, right? Anyway, we do this podcast every day to get you thinking about an interview or a topic or maybe get your own creative juices stewing by hearing from a wide swath of writers. Help us keep doing it for another year at npr.org slash books. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get to today's podcast. Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, was one of the biggest books of the year. There were reports of it selling out at indie bookstores and big box stores across the country. And it's no big secret as to why it is both deeply vulnerable in how McCurdy opens up about the abuse she faced from her mom as a kid and how dangerous being a child actor in Hollywood is but it's also very, very funny. We've got a special conversation taped live for you coming up, but something a little different first. Every year, NPR Books puts together a recommendation platform called Books We Love for you to find your next read or a gift for the picky reader in your life. McCurdy's book is actually one of the 400 plus books on the platform, and I sat down with NPR's of Summers to talk about how it's a little different from other year-end book lists
1: books. What is not to love? Well, to help us figure out which 2022 books they'd love to recommend, NPR's books team brings us books we love. Andrew Limbong, who's the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast, joins us now. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Juana. All right. So I get really pumped when that fall email hits my inbox Mm. that asks all NPR staff for our recommendations. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But for folks who do not know, tell us a little bit about books we love
0: okay yeah so it's like a little different from you know your regular regular top 10 countdown list of best books um so instead you know we reach out to critics and writers and you know literally everyone here at npr and ask them like hey what books from this year did you think rock and the books team here at npr does the the really hard work of ingesting all of that and compiling all those books into like spreadsheets on spreadsheets and then curating them into a giant list i think i think this year we've got like more than 400 books on the platform
1: Okay, that is a really long reading list, <laughs> yeah. even for like the most dedicated reader.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm not. We're not you don't got to read them all. You don't got to read them all. Um, I think the best feature um, of Books We Love the platform are these filters on the side. So you can select uh, books by these tags, you know, that are like book club ideas or tales from around the world or biography and memoir to narrow down the choices. So if you're looking for a book for yourself or buying a gift for someone else for the holidays, uh, you know, the filters make your job super easy to find the right book.
1: Okay, so let's... let's... Let's just dig into this thing. What books stood out to you this year?
0: Mm-hmm. So I actually, I keep a Google doc. That's just a list of books I want to read. And scrolling around books we love this morning, <laughs> the, the, the list grew, you know, by a bit. Um, there's some interesting nonfiction books out there. One I want to flag is uh, Megan O'Rourke's book, The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness. It's a look at how uh, ill-equipped our country's healthcare system is in regards to helping patients with long-term chronic illness. And, you know, it's especially interesting in light of what we know or don't know about long COVID. Uh, on, the, on the fiction, side of things i'm super excited to pick up this book called night crawling by Layla motley it's about a teenager who finds herself at the center of a corrupt police sex trafficking ring we actually have featured a conversation between her and npr's aisha roscoe on the book the day pod a few months ago and, and she was talking about how she was inspired by true events that happened inside the Oakland Police Department. So it's uh, pretty gripping stuff to read. And then I think you recommended a book, right, Juana?
1: Yeah, this was my first time. And my pick this year was the book Tumble by Celia Perez. And it's this incredible book about a young girl named Addie who's trying to unravel her origin story. It's really oh, yeah. a book about what makes a family. And as it turns out, Addie's family legacy involves luchadores or professional wrestlers. And I have to say, <laughs> I am actually a really really big fan of YA books.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of those out there. And especially if you like lean a little younger for like kids books too. Um, I've got these nieces I always buy books for and books we love definitely like just like comes in clutch when I'm just like stressing about picking something out. Um, There's a few fun ones uh, for kids this year. Uh, There's this book called The Catalog of Hugs, which is by a father and son duo, uh, Joshua David Stein and Augustus Stein, and illustrated by Elizabeth Lilly. And it's like exactly what it sounds like. It's a catalog of different kinds of kid hugs And there's another book called uh, Skater Cielo by Rachel Kachstaller about this little girl who's a skateboarder who eats it. She falls off her skateboard, but with some encouragement, you know, she gets back on.
2: And
1: Andrew, with a couple of seconds we have left, give us just one pick, one of your favorite books of this year.
0: Uh, One of my favorite books this year was Latvona by Atessa Moschveg. If you know her, you know her writing, you know it's like gross and smelly and disgusting and kind of (laughs) funny if you're into that.
1: All right. I guess it's time for me to hit my local bookstore. NPR's Andrew Limbong, Thank you.
0: Thanks, Juana. Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died, gets really graphic about emotional abuse, physical abuse, eating disorders, and more. And there's an interesting moment in this interview with Here and Now's Robin Young where she talks about how someone suggested there should be a trigger warning somewhere on the book to flag those things. And she explains why she vehemently said no.
2: How many people, this is your first time here, for Jeanette McCurdy.
0: When I sat down at
3: WBUR City Space recently with 30-year-old former child star Jeanette McCurdy, whose mom died of cancer and whose wildly popular best-selling memoir is I'm Glad My Mom Died, I wanted to give her an opportunity to soften that title. It can be true because she's out of her misery. But it can also be ironic, you know, you're trying to tell yourself that. You know, I would say I, I mean it very quite
2: literally, you know, I mean it quite literally. I am I am glad that she died.
3: <laughs> Harsh? Well, not to the fans who adored Jeanette as Sam and the TV show iCarly and love her more now as they're learning from her memoir about her terrifying backstory pushed by a monstrous stage mom into acting in Southern California and into dangerous bulimia. She and her brothers slept on mats in the living room because mom was also such a hoarder that their bedrooms were stuffed with useless things she bought with money they didn't have. At 35, her mom survived her first bout with cancer when Jeanette was just two. You write what the house felt like from then on. Can you recall that? Yeah, I I write that it felt like a held breath. Waiting for the cancer to return, which mom threatened it would and which it did after 18 years. Waiting for mom's next eruption of rage over money, Jeanette's competitors for roles. Waiting to eat which Jeanette didn't do for years because it would take her out of the coveted small child roles her mom wanted for her. Because Jeanette says her purpose in life was to have the life her mom didn't.
2: Right. She turned to me when I was six and said that she wanted me to be an actress because her parents would never let her be one, so she wanted me to be one.
3: You want to make your mom happy, and so off you go. And she could be charming. For instance, when selling you at auditions, acting out how she thought you should be, it's kind of a cliché. Sure. Yeah, stage?
2: for sure. She told me to do like big hands mm-hmm. for like a cello jigler's audition mm-hmm. or there was like a laugh that I was supposed to do at an early audition and she was like, "Do a nose wrinkle and go." Hee! <laughs> 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 and I did that and it sounded terrible because it's not how I sound.
3: <laughs> your dad works two jobs, Home Depot, Hollywood Video, but she just mocks and disparages him. <laughs> Comes at him with a knife. What did you see your job as? Regulating her emotions.
2: I felt like, oh, nobody else in my family can read mom the same way. I can see when she's about to blow. I can see when she kind of squints a certain way at dad. And that means two hours from now, something's going to hit the fan. She's going to chase him with a knife. And so I felt like it was my job to keep her emotionally regulated.
3: Well, she loved her. Yeah. You know, she homeschools you, further sealing this bubble. How did you feel as you got deeper into child acting? I hated it. (laughs) I felt uncomfortable.
2: Like, I would pee, like, 15 times before I'd go in for an audition. And then, you know, I would see some other kids who just seemed like born performers. They'd, like, all but tap dance in and be like, Hello! to the casting director. And I'm like, okay, that's totally not me. I'd, you know, be like, my lips would be shaking. I'd be like, I'm Jeanette McCurdy, I'm nine years old. Like, it just, I was not a natural fit.
3: There's one day when you just don't want to be Emily, I think it was, in a part that you had, and your mother loses it and she's driving the car.
2: The funny thing about being a child is you don't realize that, that, that the environment that you're in is, is abusive or dysfunctional. So you just think like, oh, it's my, my job to get mom off the freeway safe.
3: I'll do the part. I'll, right. I'll be the actress. And then you start growing up. You start to feel your body change. You ask her how to stop the boobies. She shares a secret with you. Yes. She
2: said, uh, yeah, there is this thing. It's called calorie restriction. And that was, yeah, it was the the literal day that she taught me calorie restriction. It's, like, crystal clear in my mind. This thing that we did together, that we were, like, partners in crime that felt like a thing that she was doing for my benefit, I just suppressed all of the doubts about what her motivations were because I felt like I needed to, you know, preserve the idea of of her helping me and being my best friend. Right. And what were some of the things you did? She would measure my thighs with measuring tape. I would weigh myself five times a day.
3: What do you think it was? Do you think your mom was sick? What do you think it was?
2: It's some combination of narcissistic personality disorder, um, borderline personality disorder, and bipolar disorder. Every other day when she would get in one of those really intense fights, my, my dad or my grandfather would say, Deb, you need help? Um, she would say, I
3: don't need help. You need help. And I'm going to stab you with a kitchen knife. Right,
2: right, right. Both at once.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, you get the part for iCarly. You're thinking what? Mom's going to be happy. Mom's dream finally came true. Fame, but not, that wasn't a good part for you.
2: Right. Like, frankly, I think it's not appropriate for children. I think until somebody's psychologically developed, they should not be allowed to go anywhere near Hollywood. Everybody around you is saying, oh, I'm your best friend, oh, I'm your manager, oh, I'm... It's like you're all making money off of a child.
3: Well, and what a dysfunctional set. You write about the person you call the creator. Yes. Dan Schneider. The creator. The creator (laughs) uh, of iCarly. (laughs) There was an investigation, and it found that he had been abusive, verbally abusive...
2: I I was in a lot of sort of toxic and and chaotic dysfunctional environments that I I didn't recognize as such because I'd been used to that at home.
3: Well, wildly dysfunctional. That's how your relationship with your mom is getting because you start dating uh, a much older guy. I think he's 32, you're 18. And you don't even know what you're doing. Things come out of body parts. You don't even know, (laughs) right? Um, That's abuse. I didn't know what was. (laughs) You're feeling a natural teenage desire to pull away from your mom, and her cancer comes back. You get your own apartment, but she moves in, clinging to you all night. You're trying to carry on this relationship with bad Joe. Um, (laughs) And at one point you lie. You say you're going to Miranda's. Your mother figures it out. She writes you. Do you mind? No, no, sure. Dear Nat, I'm so disappointed in you. You used to be my perfect little angel, but now you're nothing more than a little slut, Caps. A floozy, all used up. And to think you wasted on that hideous ogre of a man. Well, I kind of agree. Um, uh, Add this to the list of things you are. Liar, conniving, evil. You look pudgier, too. It's clear. You're eating your guilt. And then down at the bottom, PS, send money for a new fridge. Hours broke. I
2: recognize how funny it is that she could just go from being like, you're a slut, you're a floozy. PS, send money for a new fridge, please, thank you. Like that was her. She wrote a letter to your fans because she's going to steal your fans now. Her favorite line was, I'm going to start a vine. I'll have fans too. She loved saying that. She never started a vine.
3: (laughs) We are laughing. What happens to you now when you are reminded of these? Um... I mean, it's slightly uncomfortable. If
2: I were talking to one of my brothers, who also received many an email like that, I'm sure we would both
3: be more emotional and have a m- moment together. Well, um, she dies. You spiral out. Um, you're now on the show Sam and Cat. You're binging and purging, um, and you don't spare us. Chunks running down your arm, chunks all over your face. Why? Why did you want it to be that graphic. Oh, I'm so
2: glad you're asking this. I have not really gotten a chance to speak about this element and I feel like it's it's quite important. Somebody had pitched the idea, like, should we have a trigger warning on the cover or inside the book, like somewhere? And I very, very strongly felt no because my eating disorder therapist told me sometimes the most helpful I'm butchering it, but like sometimes the best way to learn is through facing those triggers um, from sitting with that discomfort. It, it changed my life hearing that. I would not have recovered if I would have just constantly been avoiding triggers. Uh, by facing my triggers is really where I found recovery, so I felt it important to face wow. the eating disorders as graphically
3: as possible. Uh, you go to another therapist first. The therapist suggests that your mother was abusive, and you can't go there yet. I couldn't take her down off the pedestal
2: that I needed her to be on um, because it would mean reorienting my entire life. The lens that I had was my mom knows best. Every decision I made was through the filter of like, what would mom want? What I wore, um, what I was or wasn't eating, everything was what does my mom want? And so accepting that she was abusive would mean figuring out who I was, what I wanted. That was something I I wasn't ready to face.
3: We haven't even mentioned your mom was dressing you. Physically dressing you when you were into your teens, yeah, she was showering you. Yes, till you were sixteen. Have you been able to recover what that what that was about?
2: I don't know. Still, she would say she was doing sort of, you know, exams to check for cancer. You know, I was very uncomfortable. Uh, boundaries were violated, and I I absolutely did not know how to set a boundary with her because I was conditioned to believe that boundaries were a betrayal of a yeah.
3: person. I wondered if it was part of her just keeping you an infant. Sure. Um, and, you know, someone's asking a great question. Is there something you would say now to your child's self? Mm. It's interesting because
2: just knowing where I was at there, it didn't feel like there was anything that I could do. But I think if I could show myself... Ugh, I hate getting emotional. Too. <laughs> um... If I could've shown myself where I am now, I would not have believed it when I was little. I would have just screamed with joy. I would have been so thrilled. And I think I would have had really something to uh, believe in, a really much needed dose of uh, hope and and optimism. I'm thriving, I'm up here thriving.
3: (laughs) Well, um, You hated being Sam. But can you accept now that all these people here and they love you? Yes. Oh! <laughs>
2: um, I guess to that I just want to say thank you guys so much. Like you're truly, yeah, I did. I did feel to have something that was that painful and shameful and uncomfortable be so validated so widely was complex. So now to feel validated and seen for who I am and for the things that I believe in and for things that I'm proud of and for messages that I I genuinely hope help people heal is incredible. So thank you so much.
3: Now, former actor Jeanette McCurdy, she's currently writing a screenplay, directing, and working on a novel. Her memoir is I'm Glad My Mom Died.
0: And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash books. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez Armiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Fernando Naro Roman, Deeper Vaz, Michael Radcliffe, Matthew Sherman, Michael Levitt, Phil Harrell, Christopher Intagliata, HJ Mai, Beth Novi, Rose Friedman, Elena Burnett, Justine Kennan, Emiko Tamagawa, and Grace Griffin. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening.